Church, I think any serious uh, student of the Bible would have to uh, acknowledge uh, the overwhelming unified story of God's Word. Nowhere else are you going to find 66 individual books written in three original languages by dozens of authors over a span of some 1,500 years uh, that consistently addresses the same themes and consistently points to one central overarching story. We've been journeying through First Peter on Sunday mornings together, and in our text for today, Peter alludes to an Old Testament text. He alludes to the text of Psalm chapter 55, 55th Psalm, and uh, he uh, alludes to this text that was written hundreds of years before Uh, Peter even lived, and I want to read from that text as we begin this morning. Psalm 55, the end of of that text, verses 22 and 23, the psalmist wrote, Cast your cares on the Lord, and He will sustain you. He will never let the righteous be shaken, but you, God, will bring down the wicked into the pit of decay. The bloodthirsty and deceitful will not live out half their days, but as for me, I trust in you. Indeed, Psalm 55 may well be a psalm that was in the background uh, of the entire letter of 1 Peter, as many of the themes that are present in that psalm carry over uh, to Peter's letter, uh, writing from situations of hardship, of turmoil, of trouble, of persecution, uh, yet displaying uh, a continual trust in God and Peter calling upon believers, calling upon churches, calling upon Christians to trust in God. The Lord. Another psalm, Psalm 63, verse 1, begins this way. David, writing from most likely a, a time in the desert where he is fleeing, he says, You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. David expresses his longing for God, his desire for God, as he experiences the dryness, the physical dryness of the desert. I don't know about you, I've not spent much time, maybe not really any time in a desert, but I'm beginning to wonder if north central Alabama is becoming a desert, as we are in a period of drought and have been for some time. It's been several weeks since we've had uh, rain here. In fact, just a couple days ago, I drove out. Uh, Highway 119 to look at Lake Purdy. I had heard some folks talking about how low the water was at Lake Purdy. And uh, you may well know that that's one of our water sources uh, for this part of uh, the state. So I drove out there and, and looked for myself. And uh, the, they said the lake was some 16, fo- uh, 16 plus uh, feet below uh, normal water level. So as you can imagine, much of uh, the area that is normally underneath the water is now exposed as it is above uh, the water, but in what looks like uh, places that are a dry, dirt, barren wasteland, there are these little pockets of water. In fact, in a couple of places, there's uh, a trickle of water, a stream of of water that running through portions of the lake uh, into the main part of the lake or out of the main part of the lake. In other words, there are some signs of hope There are some signs of life in the midst of a barren place. In fact, several days before that, uh, I was outside uh, the back of my house and and, uh, using some water for something. And as is often the case, a little bit of the water uh, drips from uh, the faucet and and collects 
uh, some moisture on, on the concrete. And I went inside and came back uh, a little while later and noticed that there was this little chipmunk licking up the water off of the sidewalk. Indeed, we're in a period of, of drought. Church, the reason I, I share that is not just to share uh, a couple of stories, but because likewise, we as believers are called upon uh, to offer hope, to be signs of hope, to display the hope of the gospel, to display the light of the world in a dark place. Indeed, we as Meadowbrook Baptist Church are called upon to be a healthy church in a sick world, a church that offers hope, that offers uh, the message of forgiveness of sins and life and salvation and joy and sustenance as we point others to the one who is the living water. And I think Peter helps us uh, see our place in this world. And so let me invite you once again, uh, one final time to look at First Peter this morning as we turn our attention to First Peter 5 and conclude uh, this letter that we've been walking through for several weeks now. So as you find your place there in First Peter chapter 5, let me invite you to join me standing uh, for the reading of God's Word. First Peter chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, Peter uh, writes these words. He says, To the elders among you I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing. As God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Verse 5, he writes, In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, because God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Be Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. And Peter concludes this letter with these words. He says, With the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. She who is in Babylon, I think a reference to the church in Rome here. He says, She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you her greetings, and so does my son Mark. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. Let's bow in prayer. Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for the privilege and opportunity to open it together this morning. We invite you to speak to us. We invite you to lead us. So Lord, we pray that you would guide us with your spirit, that we might rightly understand the truths of your word and apply them to our lives today as your people. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated.
There's an excellent uh, little book out um, that is titled Nine Marks of a Healthy Church, written by uh, Pastor Mark Dever, who's pastor of Capitol Hill Baptist Church in Washington, uh, D.C. In fact, uh, this pastor, Mark Dever, spent much of his ministry investing in uh, other churches and other church leaders, uh, seeking to promote uh, healthy churches that glorify uh, God. In fact, I'd I commend anything written by uh, that ministry or written by Mark Dever uh, to you. Uh, but uh, here in First Peter chapter 5, Peter doesn't, uh, may not give us nine marks of a healthy uh, church, although if we look hard enough, we could probably find nine marks. But uh, he does give us some broader marks, some general marks, a couple general marks, I think, of a healthy uh, church. And the first is this, that healthy churches have pastors leading and serving faithfully and people trusting God fully. Healthy churches have pastors who are leading and serving faithfully and people in the church who are trusting in in God fully. Peter in this section addresses uh, three specific groups of people in verses 1 through 5. He addresses elders in verse 1, then he Uh, addresses those who are younger in verse 5, and then he addresses all of you, all believers, all who are in the church in in verse 5. So let's begin with the first of of those. Now the word elder is used in a couple different ways uh, to refer to to different groups of people. For example, we often call those who are older than us our elders, and it's generally uh, accepted that we ought to accept, uh, that we ought to respect uh, our, our elders. Now, the New Testament also uses this word, but it uses it in uh, a little bit of a different way to refer to a particular office in the life of the church. In fact, three uh, words or three titles uh, refer to this particular office that seem to be used interchangeably in various other places uh, in the New Testament. Firstly, elders. Second, overseer or bishop. And thirdly, pastor uh, or, or shepherd. And so Peter is writing and he's calling upon those who lead in this way, those who lead in in the church to honor God uh, in such a way, uh, carrying out the responsibility that he has entrusted to them in in such a way uh, that would benefit the church and thereby glorify God. Now, you may well know that various uh, local churches and even various denominations, but even local churches within denominations uh, how, uh, today are, have uh, varying polities and various uh, leadership structures and different titles for various positions. Uh, but under our present structure and polity here at Meadowbrook Baptist Church, the instructions that Peter gives here in the first four verses of chapter 5 most readily apply to pastors and other ministers. And I think we see here that pastors are called to shepherd, to serve, and to model faithfulness. Peter calls upon pastors, upon shepherds, upon leaders in the life of the local church in 1 Peter 5, chapters, 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 4, to shepherd, to serve, and to model faithfulness. Verse 2, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. So Peter calls upon leaders in 
various local churches to shepherd God's flock, God's people that have been entrusted to pastors and ministers and church leaders for a season of, of life, called upon to, to shepherd them. That is to feed them and to guide them and to care for them and to guard them against false teaching and to model the character of Jesus Christ to them. Cautioned against pursuing a position of leadership in the church out of personal ambition or for personal gain. Cautioned against any desire for exercising authority over others in the church, but instead called upon to serve willingly and eagerly to reflect the model of our Lord, our Savior, our Chief Shepherd, Jesus Christ. In fact, Jesus is the chief shepherd that Peter refers to here. And in John chapter 10, Jesus referred to himself as the good shepherd. And he described his ministry and his key role in God's plan of salvation. Jesus said, John chapter 10, verse 11, he said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. And elsewhere, Jesus described his ministry this way. In Mark chapter 10, verse 45, he said, For even the Son of Man, referring to himself, even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Church shepherds and pastors and other church leaders, in fact, all Christians, but here, Peter addressing those who lead in the life of the local church are called upon to imitate the character and the example of our Lord, our Savior, our Chief Shepherd, Jesus Christ. And if you've been in any, in any position of, of leadership in the church or in the world, then you know that leadership is hard. Leadership is difficult because people are sinners, both those who are leading and those who are being led. No, that I don't have to tell you this, but no, pastor is, is God. Those of you who know me well know that is not true, but pastors and ministers are not super saints. We're not super Christians. In fact, left to myself, I would be an utter failure. As good as our other ministers here at Meadowbrook are, left to themselves, they too would be utter failures. Because all of us are simply sinners saved by the grace of an almighty God who has called us to follow after him and entrusted a responsibility to us. And what a great joy and privilege it is. But I want you to notice here as we are looking at 1 Peter 5 how, how counter the ways of the world these instructions for leadership in the household of faith are. You've probably heard the adage, if you want to know if you're being a good leader, turn around and see if anyone is following you. And though certainly there is some truth in that, we could think of many bad reasons that people follow after others. But here, those who are expected and called and equipped to serve as leaders in the life of the local church are called upon to serve others in the name of Christ, for the glory of Christ, to imitate the example of our, our Savior. And the only way that any of us can ever do that is by continually looking to the example of Jesus Christ. 
and the life and the ministry of the one who is the good shepherd, the one who guides us and cares for us and loves us and values us and seeks to see us know him more and more day by day. So church, when the time comes for for you to evaluate those in leadership positions here or to pursue leaders in the life of the local church, let me encourage you to expect and affirm biblical leadership. Expect and affirm biblical leadership. So in contrast to a world that champions riches and fame and popularity and immediate results, we are called upon to expect and to affirm pastors and other leaders to to shepherd and to serve and to care and to model devotion to our Lord Jesus Christ. This certainly doesn't mean that we expect our leaders to be perfect. After all, Peter is is recalling a time in his own life here as he opens chapter 5 and talks about witnessing the sufferings of Christ. And anyone who knows the story remembers how Peter responded in that moment when he denied knowing and following and serving Jesus that God had forgiven him and God was using him in an incredible way. Peter knows that it takes faithful pastors and leaders to produce healthy churches under his guidance, but it also takes more than that. It also takes people in the church fully trusting in God. And we display our trust in God when we support faithful and biblical leadership and when we serve one another and when we as believers surrender to God. So all believers we see here are called to support faithful leadership. All believers are called to serve one another and all believers are called to surrender to God. Look back at First Peter 5 verses 5 through 7. He goes on, he says, in the same way, and addresses two other groups. He says, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. And he says, all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. And certainly all of us are called to affirm and to follow and to support leadership in the life of the local church that is glorifying to God. But Peter knows that perhaps those who are younger are going to be more prone to rebel against faithful leaders, more prone to stir up dissension in such a fashion that is not healthy for the well-being of the church. And all of us, every believer, is called upon to serve one another out of humility, to consider others better than ourselves. Church, there is no place for pride among people who follow Jesus Christ. There's no room for pride in, in the church. Pride destroys relationships. and Pride will tear apart family of believers and no room for pride among God's people for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus Romans chapter 3 verses 23 and 24 and church this mercy of God on our lives ought to grip us when we think about the truth of the gospel, the grace of God that has been lavished on us through the blood of Jesus Christ. That grace ought to motivate us to want to serve others, to want to care for each other in His name. So in the church, friends, we are called upon to care for one another. 
care for one another, to serve and to love one another in the name of of Jesus Christ. And again, let me invite you to reflect upon this admonition from God's Word and how that fits with the predominant voice in the world today. And certainly, those in the world who are not part of the church think it's commendable when someone helps someone else in in need. But I don't think it's the predominant voice of the world today. Think about the un, unspoken voice, perhaps, at times of in the pursuit of the American dream that prods us, that encourages us to look out for ourselves first, does it not? Yet Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. Western minds tend to champion autonomous individualism, but the scriptures call us to a community of faith that cares for each other, that loves each other, that serves one another for the glory of God. And I want you to know, church, that I have been encouraged time and time again by the way this church family has cared for others in this family in times of need. Through sickness and loss of life, taking meals to those who are hurting, who cannot get out, taking others to doctor's appointments, many expressions, many that I know that I'm even unaware of, ways that those in this church family have cared for others in this family. So let me encourage you to continue doing so. Let's continue to care for each other. Let's make sure when others come into this faith family that they're not overlooked, that they don't fall through the cracks. We love and serve and care for each other for the glory of God in the name of Jesus Christ. Let's do that. Let's care for one another. And secondly, I think the scriptures here call us to receive care from God. To care for one another and to receive care from God. Verses 6 and 7, Peter writes, Humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. In other words, expressions of humility, one expression of humility is certainly caring for others, but another expression of humility is by tr- is trusting in God, acknowledging that we are not in control, that we are not on the throne, that He is, that He is the sovereign one, and we trust Him through hurts and hardships, through joys and sorrows. We acknowledge that He is God and that He is leading and that He is working in ways that we don't see ultimately for His good, for our good, and for His His glory. The phrase here, the mighty hand of God, certainly recalls an Old Testament text, perhaps multiple Old Testament texts, but it recalls the time when God called Moses to lead the Israelites out of bondage, out of slavery in Egypt. Scriptures teach us that God led them out with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. In fact, I want to read from Exodus chapter 3, verses 19 and 20. This records the conversation between God and Moses. The burning bush encounter. God has called Moses to this task. And Verse 19, God says, But I know, I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand compels him. So I will stretch out my hand and strike the Egyptians with all the wonders that I will perform among them. After that, he will let you go. In other words, the God that we serve is the God who delivered his his people out of bondage under Pharaoh in Egypt. 
God that we serve is the one and only God. He is the Almighty One. He is the Sovereign One. Thus, it makes sense for us to trust Him with our lives. And not only is He a mighty God, but He is a God who cares for us. A God who loves His people. A God who loves us with an everlasting love. Psalm 103, verse 13. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear Him. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him, on those who know who he is and respond in a way that glorifies him. So church, let's practice humility by trusting God in all times. So healthy churches have pastors who are serving and leading faithfully and people who are trusting in God fully. And secondly, I think the conclusion of this letter teaches us that healthy churches have steadfast believers fixated on Christ's eternal kingdom. Healthy churches have steadfast believers who are firm in the faith, fixated on Christ's eternal kingdom. As I thought about uh, that truth over the last uh, day or two, I was uh, immediately reminded, and I don't say immediately, not immediately, it was an afterthought uh, yesterday uh, as uh, football was on. I was reminded of, of game day on various college campuses uh, uh, on Saturdays this time of year as fans gather in Auburn or Tuscaloosa or Oxford or Knoxville, uh, Starkville or Fayetteville or uh, wherever your favorite team uh, is. Fans gather from all over. They come together. They tailgate. They celebrate. They anticipate. There's a sense of camaraderie. They dress up in their team's colors as they look forward to the game and hope that their team wins. Everything for a moment in that particular place seems to be about that team and promoting that team or that school. And likewise, in the church, in the church, as people of faith in the God of Scripture, this ought to be a place, these ought to be a people who gather together with their eyes fixated on Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God and King of the world as we anticipate His return, as we look forward to the day, so we ought to be people who now live as if He is the one who reigns. Peter writes in verse 8, he says, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. He goes on, he says, and the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory after you have suffered a little while will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. We've been reminded throughout our time in First Peter that this world is not our home. As followers of Jesus, this is only a temporary uh, dwelling place. We are temporary residents here. We experience joys and sorrows in this life. We still struggle with the temptation to sin and we deal with the effects of sin as long as we are here. But in the midst of those trials, in the midst of hardships that we experience in this life, we are reminded through the Scriptures here that there is a bigger war going on. There's a bigger uh, battle brewing, that there is a larger conflict, the conflict between the will of God and the desires of Satan and the sinful desires of human hearts. And in the midst of that battle, 
we are called upon to strive to live lives as long as we are here for the Lord. And we are called upon to embrace that spiritual perspective. As followers of Jesus who know that this is a temporary residence, we are called upon to embrace a spiritual perspective. So church, in the midst of debates over the best or the worst political candidates, in the midst of conversations about what is the appropriate Christian response to the upcoming election cycle, in the midst of debates over whether or not the outcome of this particular election is rigged, let me remind you from the Scriptures today that the battle between good and evil, between God and the devil, has already been decided. It is rigged. Spoiler alert, God wins. Jesus reigns. He rules and reigns on high, and He will for all of eternity. So as His people, let's fix our eyes on His kingdom by declaring His greatness, by giving our lives to Him, by worshiping the God who reigns now and forevermore. Worship the God who reigns. The psalmist calls upon us to recognize that there is no one like God. Psalm 96, for all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. There is no God like our God. There's no true God besides our God. Whether explicitly worshipped or not, or an idol of our own hearts, there's no God like the God who reigns, the God who has made Himself known to us in His written Word and through the Word made flesh. And because we know Him, we love Him. And because we know Him, church, we live for Him. Acknowledging that He is working, that He has been working, that He will continue to work, that He is shaping us through experiences that we endure in this life, that He is operating from a different vantage point, from an eternal vantage point, and He Himself, verse 10, will restore us, and He will make us strong, firm, and steadfast. To Him be the power forever and ever. Amen. Church, I think we are seeing through First Peter, I think we have been seeing through First Peter, that as glimpses of God's kingdom, healthy churches are rays of hope in the midst of darkness. As glimpses of God's kingdom, healthy churches are rays of hope in the midst of darkness, in the midst of a world that rejects Christ, in the midst of a world that doesn't know Christ. We are called upon to proclaim and to exercise hope in Him. To live for Him. As one pastor and theologian says, churches are outposts of hope. We are an outpost of hope. Let's be a people of hope in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's continue proclaiming the hope of Jesus. Let's continue inviting God to lead us to serve Him and to serve one another and to sacrifice for the sake of His name. Let's be a church that is a ray of hope in the midst of darkness. Amen. Father, we thank you for the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you that you are a God who works in us and through us and around us despite our failures, despite our shortcomings, despite our flaws. Father, we acknowledge this morning that you are a God who has lavished your mercy and your grace upon us, not because we deserve it, but because you love us. 
Father, grip us with that truth each day. May our lives honor you. Father, give us an eternal perspective that glorifies your name. Hear our praise now as we express our devotion to you and our desire to follow the Lamb. And it's in Jesus' name we pray and ask these things. Amen.